Hello and welcome again to uh, Making uh, Risk Flow, a podcast that reveals everything you need to know about digitizing risk in commercial insurance. I am Juan de Castro and in each episode we will walk you through how to make it work in your organization. Today I'm joined by James Wright, Head of Technology at Beasley Digital. James, it's, it's a pleasure to have you join me today. Um, it's fair to say that you guys are doing things slightly different at Beasley. I think with Beasley Digital, you've set up a completely new entity, processes, tech stack, governance. So I'm really looking forward to, to the discussion today. But do you want to start with a brief introduction of yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me, Juan, and hello to all your listeners. So yeah, I'm James Wright. I head up our technology division um, within Beasley Digital. So as Juan said, we're a new trading team at Beasley. Um, and we're specifically focused on how we service our brokers and clients in the SME space. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's our primary focus. Fantastic. So you've been at Beasley now for over 18 years. Yeah, a long time. Exactly. So you probably you know Beasley very, very well. So uh, can you start with just explaining why in the first instance that you created Beasley Digital? Sure. So... If we go back, maybe not quite as far as 18 years, but maybe the last sort of seven, um, we've been on a bit of a digital journey, um, and that's specifically around figuring out ways to make our processes and our risk flow and the way we interact with our brokers more efficient, more service friendly, and, and obviously leveraging technology. And we've been doing that historically in our product teams. Um, but what we noticed, and we sort of stepped back and we looked at that and we thought, well, there's an opportunity here to probably make that more efficient. We were getting different results in different areas. Some areas have been very successful. Others had some specific challenges. But also we noticed that um, in terms of how we interact with our brokers, it was becoming somewhat inconsistent. So we felt it would be much better, more efficient internally and for our brokers to bring that together into one team that can show up consistently with all the expertise required to deliver great service to our brokers and obviously continue to work on digitizing our products. So that was the, the primary reason that we did it. So it was quite led from a kind of broker perspective, right? Led by how can you deliver better service, better products to your to your brokers? Yeah, I think one of the things that we identified was that we need to meet our brokers where they want to be met. And that doesn't always mean, you know, building a portal, which I think anyone in our industry that's been in it for a while, there's, there's lots of portals. We saw this emergence of an omni-channel distribution strategy. So there's lots of market hubs in, in different parts of the world. We had demand coming in from brokers to talk about how we could use APIs to better connect ourselves. Um, we did have demand for our portal as well. And then, of course, not taken away from a channel that's very broadly used, especially in the US, and that's the email channel we wanted to continue to support that with an equal level of service to the other channels as well. Um, so yeah, it's very much broker-led. Yeah, and, and yeah, we've we've seen many initiatives across the whole industry of insurers creating their own portals, and I would say probably most of them have been unsuccessful because even though the the original idea made a lot of sense, it's like how can you digitize the risk from the moment the kind of the broker is is sending you the information. I think what we probably didn't think through is like, what, what was the experience to the broker, right? And then that meant that brokers had to go to 
10 different insurer portals and and the adoption has been quite low with specific exceptions right um so yeah i think that makes that makes total sense so so you've set up uh, Beasley Digital, what, like a year or two ago, is this? Yeah, we formally became a division with its own P&L January 1st this year. Um, okay. And we spent a lot of last year laying the foundations, you know, and, and, and getting the team together. So that was a lot of the effort that we, that we put together last year. Okay. So kind of what are the ambitions for uh, Beasley Digital? What, what do you want to achieve? Yeah, so... Our primary objective is to, one, enable our products, our specialist products, we're a specialist commercial insurer. We want to make them accessible to small businesses and provide them with the same risk transfer that mid-market and large customers do. And the way we want to measure that is obviously through premium growth, because that's how you measure growth in our industry. So we want to become you know, a significant part, sort of a half a billion dollar business as part of Beasley Group, and that's still small. You know, Beasley today is a five billion dollar entity, so we'd still be a small part of that. However, we're a significant part of the volume, and obviously, small companies grow, and we really want to start partnering with our clients as early as possible, so we can be on that journey with them. So I think that's I think roughly that's- what we see. Um, Product-wise, we'll have a pretty tight product set, probably fifteen to twenty products. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be trading across five or six territories, so North America, Canada, UK, France, Germany, and, and Spain. And I think they're our primary regions that we're focused on at the moment. And, and product-wise, it's a subset of the traditional Beasley products, is that right? Correct, yeah. They're the same products, essentially. Obviously, we're making them more efficient to trade digitally, but it's typically management liability, cyber, I've got a small bit of pleasure craft, um, techie and O, um, PI, and we've got some miscellaneous medical in, in, in the mix as well. Got it. Okay, so so you've said that, so it sounds like last year, you spent last year kind of planning the launch of the new business unit or the new division you've launched it this year. Tell us a bit more about what is different in business. So how does it feel different, Beasley Digital, in the day to day? Yeah, I think there's probably two things we can zoom in on here just to sort of double click on a couple of areas so one of them is is how we've organized ourselves and I've mentioned just a minute ago it's broker led and and our brokers access our products through our channels so what we've done is we've actually in the division we have underwriting operations and technology all part of the team and they're all working in cross-functional teams of which the teams are organized by distribution channel and there's four main teams. We've got a portal team, APIs, market hubs, and email and voice. So what's quite different, um, and one of my underwriting peers I made a promise to, is that we'd start using the same language. So what's happened through the formation of these cross-functional teams is they've all got shared goals. So whether you're in IT, operations, or underwriting, you have got an objective you're trying to achieve, which everyone understands there's a measurement of that metric and you've you're aligned to achieving that outcome i think that's been a significant step forward for working collaboratively uh, across our um, different silos that said it was much more challenging than i thought (laughs) to do that um it took us a good you know half of last year 
to figure out the right structure, the right people, and to get that in place. And and is that mostly people coming from the traditional uh, Beasley teams, or is it, or have you had to go also external? No, the majority of the people have come from within. You know, we're lucky at Beasley; we've got a really good talent pool. There's a lot of people that have got a really high digital ambition, and they want to be part of this journey. Um, so we've sort of, you know, naturally, I think naturally sort of attracted the right people into the group. And and when you when you said it's been more challenging than you thought, in 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 what sense? In 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 aligning all of them towards the same goal? Yeah, I think in creating goals and defining them in language and measurement, you realise that although you might think you're talking about the same things, mm. you really might not be. And it's not until you try and write those things down, create measurement on them, that you realise, okay, we, you know, we thought we were talking the same language, but we're not. Um, a good definite, a good example of that would be something around, um, you know, the straight through processing of risk. Um, from an underwriting perspective, that means no touch for them, but it, it may mean quite a lot of touch for operations. Mm. Um, now, you can measure you can argue both sides of that but fundamentally if you want to deliver exceptional service to a broker if we're going to say minimum touch straight through process that means no touch right yeah the broker doesn't care if it's been touched by an underwriter or an admin it's like okay how long is it going to take for you to get me back with the court right yeah another example i think is probably the use of agile in division you know it would be quite common that we come to a meeting with underwriting and they might be talking in underwriting terms and we're talking in agile delivery terms, you know, sprints, retro, stand-ups. And it was, the way it was put to me is it's quite off-putting. Although mm. you know, there was nothing no, wrong in it, but it, it alienates you a bit. So what we've done is the ways of working is consistent across the division. So underwriters and ops and IT now use that language. They understand what a sprint is, understand you know, what a retro is, and, and that's helping as well. They, they can see value on both sides. The other thing that we're transforming is probably the way that we process risk and our views on the use of technology and automation. Um, you know, through those key results that I've mentioned, so for example, 80% of risk straight through processed, um, as we all know, that does require the use of technology. Um, and from our processes to our products, we're starting to think differently about how we might achieve that. but within the context of channels. So we're not just saying, well, the way to achieve straight through pressing is put everyone in a portal. We're saying, right, we've got email traffic for submissions. How are we going to solve the problem? Right, how are we going to tackle this one so we can deliver exceptional service back? And that starts to introduce the need, not, not just for fun, but the genuine real need to look at new ways of solving old problems. So you know, actually using things like natural language processing in an applied way or looking at data enrichment specifically for cyber to help improve the automation of risk selection. So rather than solutions looking for problems, we've kind of turned it around, right? We've got these targets that we're trying to hit that highlights the problems then that that helps us look, look at new ways of solving those problems. Yeah, and that, that is very aligned with kind of the, the theme of the podcast too, right? Which is how, how do you evolve from manual risk flows to digital risk flows, right? So in, a, in a way that um, 
I mean, one of the first podcast episodes was about what are the key characteristics of, of flow type of business, right? And one of them is risks or items of work only are touched when necessary, when there's really the need for a human to make an, a human judgment, right? And I guess that is one of the examples that you mentioned is how can you also use um, external data sources to inform some of the decisions and only route that 20% of risks to underwriters when really you, you need an underwriter to look at them. So you've touched on cyber specifically, and I know that is kind of one of the your areas of focus within Beasley Digital. It would probably be helpful if you run us through almost like what does it look like that digital flow of a cyber risk throughout Beasley Digital? Yeah, sure. Happy to do that. And I can probably highlight some of the challenges that we've got in digitizing that, even that flow. Yeah. Um, so, again, we're talking about SME business here and fundamentally service wins. You know, a broker needs three quotes quite quickly um, and speed really matters. So typically, and I'm going to give you a US example here because it's it's one that we've got the most challenge with. We receive an email submission that will typically include an attachment, often not on our application form, but on a competitor's form. We fundamentally take that email and create a submission record. Our first thing that we do is we look at the client name we're insuring and make sure we've not posted that business anywhere else at Beasley. And we call that mm-hmm. step clearance. We then go into ingesting that data, so scraping it off the application form at the moment by people, but we can we can come to that later. That goes into a quoting platform that starts to triage that risk for an underwriter. That triggers a secondary process to start doing like a vulnerability scan. So we'll start actually trying to build up a sort of digital fingerprint of this client. And specifically in this scenario, we use third-party data service to look at the, the metrics around the client's security posture. That then feeds into our pricing engine, which effectively either says, I'm going to straight through quote this piece of business. So it's good. We can provide a quote or there's something that needs review. Let's flag that for an underwriting review. Um, at that point, an under, or underwriter might need to review that risk. Um, they may require some advisory if there's some exposure there. Um, mm. And that's part of the process that we offer as well. So you know, we're not just going to flat decline all the time. We're going to sometimes come back and say, listen, you've got a couple of security issues here. Get them resolved and then we can quote the business. Um, once that loop's closed, the quote's issued and that moves back to the broker for a confirm on bind. That's fundamentally sort of the, the quoting process, which is the one that's most voluminous, right? That's where we see the most um, opportunities to, to scale. Yeah, and, and I think you've given a couple of really great examples there, right? So one is some of the lower value steps that you can automate, like the clearance step, right? Uh, that historically you had to um, have a human actually copy the client name, do some lookups in your systems, etc. How can you automate that to the extent possible, right? By extracting that information from the submission. I think the the, the other step, which is vulnerability checks, similar right it's like that step itself doesn't need to be human supervised unless the output from that step is a it's a red flag i guess right which is where you could then decide okay i'm going to refer it to an underwriter to get take a second look at and 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 the other interesting thing on, on what you just said is you started this the whole podcast with one of the reasons 
you've set up Bizly Digital is to better serve your brokers. And at the end, you're not just doing that, but also better serving your customers by getting back to them and saying, hey, we would love to quote you, but we've, we've identified these Absolutely. vulnerability checks. If you did X, Y, and Z, come back and we'll be happy to quote you, right? Which is a, it's a superb, first of all, it's a superb service to the broker because the broker understands why are you willing or not to quote it, but also a superb service to the client who then knows how to remediate it, right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I think um, we're taking that concept across other products now. So we're starting to think about ESG as an advisory piece. Um, and then some of the challenges in products like Tech E&O, you know, identifying the business activity is quite challenging for the broker and for the underwriter. So we're looking at using technology, data enrichment, and specifically some machine learning to, to figure that out in a more intuitive way. Um, so I think the lessons that we learn with some of these products will apply to other product areas as well. Yeah, oh, yeah. That, that, that's really interesting. So perhaps in a, um, we can wrap this up with, I mean, you've touched a couple of times on clear measures of success, alignment of cross-functional teams. Can you tell us just a bit more about what artifacts have you used to create that alignment and what those objectives? Yeah, sure. We're a big fan of using the OKR framework, which if anybody Googles that, it's been used by lots of tech companies. Um, it seems very simple. You have an objective and then maybe three key results beneath it. But it's really quite hard. But we've aggressively used that. So we've got five objectives at Beast Digital. So, you know, like I said, minimum touch, meet the brokers where they want to be met, um, data-driven insights, striving for better. And I'm going to forget the fifth one, <laughs> but it'll come to me in a minute. And then so beneath those, we've got about three key results across all the channels. So under minimum touch, it's an 80% straight through process rate. Um, and then what you'll see beneath that within the teams is they'll they'll create ideas or stories to try and improve that. So a good example there would be optimize the referral logic to from X to Y. And by doing that, you're achieving that straight through process rate. And what that means, and it's really powerful, is that everyone on the team, when they're working on referral optimization, can see how their work actually contributes right back up to our top strategy. Um, and again, it sounds really simple, and you know you can Google the OKR framework, but it's quite hard in practice to implement. You're totally right, and conceptually it's very simple. Many companies use it. You are one of the few that use it not just to set up the objectives, but I've seen you, you, you guys, and you're in everybody within your team start every presentation, start every meeting with. Okay, let let me position this meeting in this in the context of the OKRs. This is the objective we're going to be talking about, and that I think you're totally right. It's 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 fantastic to see how your teams actually use it on a daily basis. It's not just a set of, of objectives in a drawer, right? And I think right. that's quite impressive. In just like whatever six seven months, you you've managed to to create that cultural shift to right. Well, maybe to talk to me in a year's time and see how we're getting on. Hopefully, good. Exactly. Exactly. Perhaps we should do another podcast in 2023 and and, and, and look back at if that's still the case. Well, Jake, it's I, I find it um, absolutely brilliant what you guys are doing at Bisley Digital. It's 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 a completely different way of approaching um, commercial insurance with a very clear focus on on broker and client services, which is where everything starts. So, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Juan. Thanks for the time. Uh, yeah, fantastic. And thank you, everybody, for listening to the podcast. And we'll see you in the next episode.